Okay, Steve Barsh from Dream Adventures. Jason, welcome, can you hear us okay? I can hear you five by five, can you hear me okay? Can hear you great, welcome, welcome. Let me get things started here and we appreciate everybody joining us today on these crazy days and challenging times. Let's dive in, Jason, welcome to the show. How are you? Uh, I am great, it has been uh, crazy. I am uh, not shaving until this is over. So, okay. Uh, people have never seen me with facial hair, it's uh, pretty terrible. And uh, yeah, it's my own personal protest. I'm, I'm exhausted. If you, if you, to be totally honest, if, I'm exhausted. Uh, I'm staying up till oh, 3 a.m. My calendar is twice as packed as it normally is, and it's triage phone call to triage phone call, not with people on the front line uh, right. who are, you know, doing the real work. Uh, but you know, we work on the second order effects, not people's lives, but their livelihoods. And right. you know, both of those things are very important. Obviously, life. Don't take a genius. Figure out that's more important uh, than your yes. livelihood. But livelihood, close second. It is a close second. Now, yeah. are you going to completely let it grow out, or you're just going to keep it short? Because you know, Phillips makes a one blade. It's great. I was using it for a while. My wife is like, "You can shave all that off." Thank you very yeah. much. But I, I don't know. Anyway. I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm spiraling. I'm not designed for quarantine, <laughs> uh, but I am designed for war. So, it's, uh, it's a mixed bag. But you're getting a wartime uh, Calacanis on this episode. I'm. Well, I'm, that's okay. I'm rallying the troops and, I, and I'm trying to keep these companies alive. You know, that is for me the most important right. thing here is getting as many of the companies I've invested in as we've incubated to survive. Because if right. you survive, anyway, yep. then you could thrive. But Ex if you it's die, so funny. Yep. That's the end. <laughs> exactly. We're actually, we think we might run a Dream It Live on that next week and have a bunch of VCs on if you want to join us. But on, you know, just collective intelligence on what do you need to be doing? Because it seems like, uh, all of the startups aren't doing all the things they should be doing yet, which is kind no. of surprising. So we want to get a couple people on and do a Q&A, but that's next week. Let's dive in a little bit just to make sure that people understand who you are and a little bit of your background. Sure. I think most people know you, but I just want to step through some of the interesting parts of your background. And we just talk about you for just a couple minutes and we'll get into the meat of it. So okay. you're an entrepreneur, right? Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about some of your entrepreneurial journey for just a couple seconds, what you've done? Sure. I mean, I started as a um in the IT business in the 90s uh, when I was going to college and got to see the internet um, when it was called uh, BitNet uh, at Fordham mm -hmm. University in the computer lab and was enamored by that. And then right as I got into the workforce in 1993 and 94 time period, this uh, Mosaic browser came out and that was just a mind-blowing uh, moment for me. And mm -hmm. I started a zine called Cyber Surfer um, mm -hmm. and that magazine, Cyber Surfer, was about CD-ROMs and multimedia and online services uh, like Delphi and CompuServe. And then in 1995, I started a magazine called Silicon Alley Reporter, which was about yep. this new thing called the internet. And it grew right. it off my credit cards to $12 million in revenue. Uh, eventually wound up selling to Dow Jones, then started a blogging company uh, called Weblogs Inc. that did Engadget, Autoblog, Joystick. Yep. And after 18 months, we sold it to AOL for $30 million. We had about... I don't know, $100,000 in total revenue, cumulative revenue wow. up until that point in time. So uh, people thought we took AOL for a ride. Five or six years later, they announced Engadget was doing 25 or $50 million a year alone. Wow. Uh, and then That's I awesome. look like an idiot, which is kind of the definition <laughs> of good M&A is one person looks like an idiot, and then five right. or ten years later, the other person does. Right. Um, and um, then I started a company called Mahalo, which is now called Inside.com, and mm -hmm. it's still going uh, and doing uh, pretty good, actually. Um, and that was backed by a, a venture capital firm called Sequoia. Sequoia then gave me 
some money to be a scout, which was a new mm -hmm. concept they had, just friends of the firm bringing them deals. And I made mm -hmm. 19 deals, invested 600 or so thousand dollars. And at the peak, it was worth over a hundred million. Uh, and uh, then I started my own fund and my friend, oh, then my friend Naval, who was doing venture hacks and I was doing something called Open Angel Forum. And we were trying to get angels to invest in companies together. We were kind of like yep. this little ragged band of outsiders, Naval and I, um, both people who, you know, maybe in the industry, people were like, eh, those two guys. Um, <laughs> and uh, he had an email list called Venture Hacks and he would just email deals. And then I had Open Angel Forum where I bring people live together. Right. And he said, look, I made this new thing, Angel List. Here's a syndicate. So I said, that's interesting. I'm investing in this meditation company. Let me syndicate it. So I syndicated uh, com.com and $328,000 came in uh, and it became worth over 50 million. So the first syndicate we ever did, the biggest syndicate we've ever done, the most successful syndicate in the history of syndicates right. uh, by far. Um, uh -huh. And so in that, eight, and then I started an accelerator, launch accelerator. We've had over 100 companies, 17 cohorts of seven go through it. Mm -hmm. um, and we've, uh, have three funds I've done and I do a podcast called this week in startups that is now at, uh, close to 1100 episodes. I think we've been doing it for wow. 10, I know you wait, you, you crossed the thousand episodes like two weeks ago. Like how well, many? Yeah, it was 40. No, 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 it was, it was, it was, uh, yeah, 40 episodes ago. So 20 weeks ago or so maybe okay. 15 weeks ago, but yeah, wow. we, we, uh, we, we got to 10 years and, uh, you know, I think the second decade it, it'll get good. We might be able to get some good guests and <laughs> I get think, the, finally I think get the production value. I'm hoping the production value and the guests improve in the second decade. There you go. Well, I, we think it's great already. But anyway, okay, so you've invested about 200. We're, again, we're going to get into the meat, but I want to make sure people understand. Yeah, that's where about everything from. I've done that I can think of. Okay, well, yeah. there's one or two things. So, you know, in some of those small companies you've invested in, is it a true fact, fact that Travis came to Open Angel Forum and was yes. a certain Chris Freilich in the room from First Round uh, Capital? Yeah, that, I've heard Chris Saka. tell the story five times. Yeah, yeah. Chris and uh, Chris Saka were both in the room. Yep. Uh, in fairness, Chris Saka yeah. was good friends with um, Travis. So I get no credit there. Uh, Cyan Bass right. are also in the room. So uh, three people in the room uh, that night invested, um, and you know the rest is history. Uh, and the Travis's um, demo was: here's the app. He pulled out his phone. Everybody sort of got around him and looked at his phone. And he ordered a car. And then everybody walked to the window, and we watched the car pull up. Wow. And then people invested. And so, you know, the, I think the message there is for people um, is that be of action, take action. Mm -hmm. I, I like people who actually do stuff in the world. So when I see like some awkward, you know, outsider in the industry try to get mm -hmm. something going and they do it when they're true of heart and they're authentic, um, I always try to support them because that was me. I was the outsider's outsider. Um, right. You know, didn't go to MIT, kid from Brooklyn came out here and just by putting 20 people in a room who were more affluent and had bigger checkbooks than I did, mm -hmm. uh, I was able to create something and then just kept parlaying it and parlaying it. And there's a lot of lessons in that, uh, fake it till you make it or be delusional, whatever you want to call right. it, take risk. Right. Uh, don't overestimate the downside. All of those things are very, very true. And the technology and the, um, venture industry, although, <clears throat> It's much maligned in the tech lash going on for the last mm -hmm. couple of years. It's complete, utter bullshit and nonsense. This right. industry welcomes people like no other industry I can think of. Now, I'm sure on the margins you can come up with all the bad things that have occurred in an industry this size. Mm -hmm. But the truth is, trying to break into academia or the movie business or 
advertising or finance or publishing uh, or fashion, I think is much harder than breaking into this industry. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. All right. So, and we'll weave some of that, I think, as we have this discussion. So in all of these things you've been through, have you been through a downturn or two before? Yeah, I've been through about four of these. Yeah. I mean, the the financial crisis uh, and great recession is when I started angel investing. And as I tell everybody, and I put in my book, uh, fortunes are made in the down market. They're collected in the up market. Uh, mm-hmm. So w- if anybody's starting a company in a down market, it is the absolute best time to invest in them because the only people who start companies from this point forward will be absolute maniacs who are resilient and driven. Uh, no snowflake, poser, right. uh, tourists, as we call them out here. No right. tourist is starting a company right now. You know how people go to Hawaii and they're like, oh my God, I'm going to totally move here and live here. This is incredible. <laughs> And right. then like, you know, they, they extend their trip another week and they look at houses and they go back to their lives and they never go back to the island again. Um, right. There's a lot of people like that in Silicon Valley or, or the technology business or entrepreneurship. Sure. They try it on, whatever. But then I was also in New York for 9-11. My brother's a firefighter. His second fire he had to go to was 9-11. Wow. He spent 30 days on the pit um, and has asthma now. Uh, so uh, it's, uh, uh, it's sorry to hear that. I've been through like real personal like scary moments in that one um mm-hmm. the dot-com bust i was literally had it on my lap was running a magazine i was like like literally sitting on top of the dot-com bubble when it burst right uh, so that was pretty brutal and then when i graduated uh you know when i graduated high school in 1987 i watched my dad lose his bar because of the financial crisis and then in the early 90s there were some um you know market corrections so going into the workforce in 93 sucked if you could mm-hmm. get a job for 500 bucks a week you fought to keep it right, uh, right. so yeah uh, I've been through so, it many times. Okay, so, so in all of that, and we're going to get to in a minute, like raising capital during a downturn like this, but I just, let, let's hit upon, because you were talking about as you walked in, you said, I've been on the phone nonstop till three in the morning, which means maybe East Coast companies are just three in the morning anyway out on in the Bay Area. Um, what do you think for startups to survive, number one, and then eventually thrive, what do you think of the top qualities you're looking for in founders that they need to excel at, excel at, at this time during crisis? Yeah, in a time of crisis, um, you know, you have to really be honest with yourself about the state of the business. That's like step mm-hmm. one. And then you have to get as much information and data as you can. That's kind of step two. And then build a plan and communicate that to your team and then execute the plan. It's just standard leadership stuff. And people appreciate leaders who are transparent, honest, and upfront about it. So if we were mm-hmm. in the thick of it, let's say we were in the healthcare system in New York City right now, you know, there's some pretty honest um, discussions going on there. And, or Italy, right. you know, the last two or three weeks. Like, we're going to work today. There's a certain number of ventilators. There's a certain number of sick people. Here's how we're going to make the decisions of who lives, who dies, uh, and who right. gets a ventilator, and who does it. And here's what we're going to do if there's too many people in the lobby. Like, you really have to disconnect yourself from the emotion of the situation and the fact that people are going to die. And in our case, mm-hmm. luckily, it's not people dying. It's people losing their jobs and their livelihoods. Which again, and I have to, I, I, I hate to have to like give this disclaimer, but there's a lot of stupid, mm-hmm. insincere, inauthentic, fresh right. snowflakes out there who want to like. Anytime you talk about business during this, they're like, "How could you talk about business?" It's like, right. you obviously do not have a family and a mortgage if you right. <laughs> can't handle talking right. about this. But you know, the job of the entrepreneur in this situation is to save as many jobs as they can and to save the business, so that the business, even if you can't save all those jobs, you might be right. able to bring them back. And right. so. 
you know, there, there's a whole bunch to unpack here. One of them is, do, does your business currently have revenue or not, right? And that's like one fork in the road. If your business mm-hmm. doesn't have revenue or not, when is it going to have business? How much runway, how much cash do you have? You're going to need 18 months of cash. That's the bottom line. If you have six months right. of cash, you're probably going to die if you don't do anything. Your company's going right. to go away. Right. And, and that's sort of like saying, hey, we're in this foxhole and we've got like six bullets each in our guns and we got to get past that German line. Like, how are we going to do it? We have no grenades and no bullets left and we're outnumbered. Like, you're going to have to make a plan that's a little more creative than going right through the front door uh, and, and trying to overpower them. So in that case, you're going to need to say, how do we get this to 18 months? Well, if you have 10 people and you go down to three, now you're 18 months. And I've had founders say to me, well, I don't really want to run the company if I have to let everybody go. or I have to let two out of three people go. And I say, well, okay, you should never have started a company then. You should right. not have sat in the captain's chair. That's like the pilot being like, you know what? I really don't want to land this plane in the Hudson. And it's like, right. yeah, you know what? You don't have a choice because you can't make it to the two others. So what are you going to do? Just exactly. go crawl up in a ball? Land right. the goddamn plane. Like, right. Grow up. Put on your big right. boy pants. Put on your big girl pants and let's do it. Let's land the goddamn right. plane. Right. Um, and so there's a little bit of that where you got to shake somebody out of this and, and really give them a dose of reality that the capital markets will be turned off uh, for some number of months and there'll be a flight to quality. So right. uh, if you're not quality, uh, then you have to be able to assess that. And quality, you don't have to take it personal, but we're talking about the quality of your revenue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think getting to 18 months is it. Now, there's a lot of tactical stuff here. So if you do take the path where you have to lay people off, there's a lot to unpack there. I don't know if you saw sure. the PPP loans that are going yep. on today. Bank of America, yep. or just on CNBC, had done 60,000 of them already today. But you wow. can get two and a half times whatever your rev- your payroll has been. Correct. If you don't apply your for that today, payroll. you're insane right. um, because right. it's going to be free money, essentially. It's going to be a grant mm-hmm. and you should take it because the government wants to keep you paying people. Right. Uh, to keep those people in the mix. And then there's other loans for people who have businesses that are directly uh, impacted, like retail, restaurants, event spaces, event companies, that kind of stuff. Quick. So you're going to want to go after those things. Um, <clears throat> and then you're going to want to look at your revenue um, and try to think about how to improve it. If you don't have revenue and you don't think you can get to revenue, there might be other work you can do. And so you would not be the first founder to say, is there consulting work or a a job I can do for one of my customers. So if you've got a customer and they have money and they're not downsizing and you say to big company, Hey, we know you asked for these three features and we didn't have them. Can we Mm -hmm. build you that as custom software? Can we be your outsourced development team? We got a product manager, got a designer, you know, we'll we'll charge you $25 a month, you know, whatever, $300,000 for the year. Can we do this project for you? And 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 I think a a way to think about that. Right, like when if a startup would be pitching you for launch or for investing, for angel investing, and you'd sit there and say, cool, you're a SaaS company, right? No services, right? You're 95% gross margin. At a time like this, you say, screw that, right? Revenue is yeah. revenue. And if you can get revenue in the door through services, yeah, it's not the same margin, but you got to eat. And you want to make it like you had said to the other side, you know, you do what you do, do what you need to do to survive right now. Yeah, you know what? If you're a vegan and like you're trapped on a boat and you have to eat the fish, to survive, to be a vegan when you get back to shore. Like, it's okay. You can eat the fish okay. for now. Like, you don't have to starve yourself to death for let's principle. See what people, let's see what people say about that on Twitter. There might be Sorry some to vegans. vegans that are... <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I'm sure there are vegans who, yeah, you know, who, who have been in this situation before. Like, sometimes okay. you're going to... I don't think uh, whoever you pray to right. is not going to be that upset at you for surviving. Like, people have One, done unnatural acts to survive, and that's okay. Sure. So... 
and not airplanes crashing in the Andes Mountains. Different topic. Yeah. Okay, so um, I just want to make one quick let's comment. Let's not go to that one. <laughs> no, let's not go to that one. Um, I'm not I advising make... that people resort to cannibalism in their startup. <laughs> just to right. Be clear. Oh, right. Right. Um, okay. So just one quick comment I want to make. It's kind of interesting. You find at times like this, it's where really founders and leaders lead. When everything's going well and everything's fine, it's easy to be a leader. It's when the shit hits the fan yeah. that the true people stand up and drive and lead and execute and, and yeah. they lean into the situation. They don't lean back. Kind of like you got to land the plane in the Hudson. Got bad news for you. You don't have a chair. You don't have a choice. So you do yeah. what you have to do. Anyway, okay. Let's let's move the conversation to raising capital in a downturn, economic downturn. It's what what we were here to talk about today. I don't want to focus on that. What do you think? Where should founders focus if they're trying to raise right, right. now? So or do you think the capital markets are yeah. closed? Yeah. So after you've done all the necessary work of making the cuts, extending the runway and driving revenue as best as you can, that's yep. a good time to go talk to investors because mm -hmm. they're going to put you in a bucket of people who want to win. If you right. go to them and say, uh, yeah, you know, I need a million dollars to get through the next six months. And they're like, okay, how much cash do you have in the bank? You're like, we have two payrolls. They're like, well, I'm not catching that falling knife. Right. And why haven't you cut your costs? And why haven't you let people go? Like, what are you waiting for? You're going to be personally liable for so many things that are going to blow up. And, uh, so you want to come across as somebody who's serious and who takes the work seriously. So I think really having a handle on your numbers and coming into that meeting with that humility and saying, listen, we, we need to survive because this is the opportunity coming out of this. We now have, mm -hmm. We made these cuts. We're now down to, you know, 50% uh, of our, 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 our staff and our, our burn. I, I'm taking 50% pay cut. My co-founder is taking a 60% pay cut. Our third co-founder is taking a 10% pay cut, but he's got to keep his kids in school, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, now you come across as super serious um, and fundable, not like a delusional tourist who doesn't want to land the plane properly. So that's right. a good place to start. And then okay. you're going to have to look at the funding source and say, are, is this person an angel investing out of their balance sheet? Uh, is this person a, have what's a fund? Left, what's left of their balance sheet. Exactly. Right. And when, right. when angels, when angel investors, people who invest off of their balance sheet, um, look at the stock market, it's down 30 or 40%. They're going to take a pause. They don't want to liquidate those shares and those companies and take the loss to then um, fund you. So things like syndicates, you can expect them to take twice as long to close and be half mm -hmm. as much at maybe mm -hmm. half the valuation. So there's not a time to be precious about the amount of money you can raise, the valuation, again, you just want to survive. So mm -hmm. um, you got to come to it with that humility of like, yeah, I know I raised that 10 million. I thought I was going to do 20 million. And now I'm going to raise a million at five. Like mm -hmm. that might be the reality for your business. And, and that's okay right. because, you know, again, back to like a wartime CEO, you're going to have to do some things that maybe you don't feel like doing or that are a bummer to do, but <laughs> that's life. Um, yeah. and get used to it. You know, there's a bunch of people who maybe don't want to go to work right now and put themselves, you know, into the middle of an ICU in Brooklyn, but they're doing right. it. Right. So again, um, so, and then funds are very unique in that they have the dry powder, but they're going to naturally become very, uh, conservative in this kind of market. Most of mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. And they're going to, um, <clears throat> be looking to double down on winners and to um, thin the herd of the companies they don't think and the founders they don't think will ever succeed, at least not with this company. So uh, or in this for, time exist frame. for existing portfolio companies. So you feel yeah. in some ways they're going to circle the wagons a bit and say, okay, let's make sure we get the winners over the, the whatever the hurdle line yeah, I mean, is to get to that next round. 
my email is flooded with, you know, other fund managers, companies that are having problems. Mm-hmm. And it's also flooded with my companies. So, well, right. who am I going to sort through first? Of course, right. I'm going to sort through our hundred plus active companies. A, a little uh, bit, it, by the way, like the medical, right? You're triaging, right? I'm you triaging. triaging. I'm starting with my backyard. I, like if I'm right. in Brooklyn, I'm taking care of Brooklyn. I'm not taking right. care of the Bronx. I'm in Brooklyn. Right. I can't get to the Bronx. Right. When Brooklyn's taken care of, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll make the trip to the Bronx and try to help out there. But I'm taking care of Brooklyn right now. So that's right. what I'm in the process of doing right now is just taking care of my people and trying to get them through stuff. By the way, that's going to take me another, I don't know, three to six months of right. working through that uh, with these companies. Uh, that doesn't mean I can't make other ex- investments, but it's going to be few and far between. When, when we talk about what founders need to do differently or better, like even let's say somebody was pitching you or pitching someone now, do you, do you, does that vary what they need to talk about, what, where they really need to bring their A-game besides the financials? How have you cut? Where have you cut? How have you extended yourself? If I'm angel, pre-seed, seed, series A or series B, if I'm going for a series A or series B, because I'm sure there's startups watching us that are series A or B companies, what do you think varies when they're going into that investor meeting? If they're trying possibly to close a new investor, what do they need to really change in their focus now because of what's going on? Yeah, I think the growth at all costs is a little bit different right now. I think people would right. like to see sustainable growth. Uh, they're going to want to see cohorts of users that are really using the product, unit economics mm-hmm. that work. In these kind of situations, people stop suspending disbelief, right? And right. they start looking at reality. So, mm-hmm. you know, what are we all doing when we look out at this coronavirus? We we load the page of the new cases every day, the new deaths every day, how many ICUs there are. And that's why Cuomo is starting with this PowerPoint deck and starting with numbers, starting with facts. You want to mm-hmm. get that grounding. And when you're a pilot... Right and an engine fails or a bird goes into the engine, what's the first thing you do? You look at your airspeed. You look at your, right. your uh, altitude. altitude. You look at how much fuel right. you have. Right. And you start going down the checklist. There's a really good book called The Checklist Manifesto about mm-hmm. these kind of like why checklists exist. It's a side note. Right. Yeah. So you're going to go down that checklist and you're going to say, okay, how do you acquire customers? Oh, you pay $6,000 to acquire a customer and you give it mm-hmm. all to Facebook and you know, uh, Instagram ads and, uh, oh yeah, those customers churn at this rate and okay. So you were growing, but it's artificial. And so all the discounting artificial growth at all costs will kick the can down the road. That's over. Mm -hmm. And now we're back to business fundamentals. So let's say half of your customers are in danger of churning and you really don't have true product market fit with them. Mm -hmm. You're going to probably want to raise your prices, get them the heck out of there and focus on the top half who do. Right. right. So you're just going to be put under a level of scrutiny. So if you're talking about some grand vision or, you know, we'll figure that out later, the figure mm-hmm. it out later is probably not going to fly. And the reality is what's going to fly. So this absolute unvarnished, authentic reality check. Here mm-hmm. is the reality of this business. Here is what's right. working. Here is what's not. Here are the challenges. And here's how we're going to overcome those challenges. And here's why we are positioned to come out of this crisis as the winner. Mm-hmm. That's that's right. the answer they're going to really want to see. And right. so just this incredible honesty about the situation. We have this many days of <laughs> food left if you're you know on that life raft. Or we have this much right. altitude. Here are the airports right. we can land in. Or here are the fields we can land in. That's sort of like raw assessment, I think. And then... W- after that, and here's the opportunity if we make it through. If we make it through, um, our margins are X, our CAC is going to go down, 
mm-hmm. and we are going to our current customers are going to want to use our product more because they're going to be throwing less bodies at it and more software. So right. outsourcing and using software is we're anti-fragile. If you've read that book, right. by Nassim Taleb, it's a good book. Really starting to think about those businesses. And and right now, what I'm looking at as an angel investor is for my accelerator. Um, we went back, and all the people who passed on going to an accelerator who said. Mm-hmm. I don't really need to go to an accelerator. Why would I go to an accelerator? I can just raise like $5 million right now from like angels or I can raise $2 million right now. Why would I go to an accelerator? And we're like, yep. okay, yeah, go ahead do that. You know, it's, if you don't see value in it, that's okay. Um, right. And a bunch of those folks started pinging us again saying, Hey, you know what? You guys were talking to me about coming to the accelerator, but I passed is, are you still doing it? We and, had that same conversation dream adventures this morning. It's so funny. Yeah. yeah. Same thing. Um, and it's fine. You know, I, I respect the fact that some people, are like, I'm going to try to optimize for valuation. And, mm-hmm. you know, I've had a lot of people who are optimizing for valuation coming back to me saying, you know what, you were right. I over-optimized. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a big part about what's happening right now, I think, when we look at this catastrophe, pandemic, crisis, is we probably, uh, America and the world, globalization, and just in general, we were very focused on efficiency and not redundancy and not resiliency. And if you just look at like supply chains and the fact that we can't make ventilators here, we can't make masks and gowns and, you know, all our prescription drugs come out of Wuhan and other places and there's this disruption in the supply chain. A lot of people were running their small businesses like that. They were running their small businesses off their credit cards, off of payday loans. Mm -hmm. People were running startups and they would say to me, yeah, I'm just doing like a six month note. Um, Yeah, you know, I'm just going to I'm going to bump my. valuation cap from eight to 12 and raise another 600,000 and that'll get me right. another six months of runway. And I was like, well, why don't mm-hmm. we just raise a proper round at a, you know, whatever valuation the market is and have 18 months. And they were like, yeah, no, yeah. I think we can accomplish these things. And then I'm going to raise the valuation 50%. So I really want to optimize. And I was told mm-hmm. that I could get a higher valuation. I should only raise what I need and I only need six months. And it's like, Ooh, those people are, you know, now have what's called the risk of ruin in gambling. Right. right. You can yeah. Look it up. Oh, we're going to, we're going to come back to gambling in a minute, but I just wanted to bring out, you know, it's interesting. We talk to a lot of entrepreneurs and startups that they forget when they're raising their round, they're selling. And one of the things you're selling, you're selling equity. Like, you know, why yeah. should I give you 20% of my company for $2 million? Well, you're not giving them anything. You're yeah. selling them equity instead of your product. But it's fun. We talked, I had Jeffrey Moore on last week from Crossing the Chasm, Jeffrey Moore, and he has yeah. a technique called provocative wow. selling. And I don't know if you've if you've seen that technique. It's really oh, Dustin put it up. Thank you. So it's it's about provoking customers in a downturn. It's a gr- he's a great guy. It's a great yeah. series. He wrote the article in 2008 during the the recessionary times. And I don't know if you think about that. I almost think about like founders when they're going to investors and treating them almost like a customer. They're buying equity. And now in these really difficult times, how are you going to provoke that sale? Why are they going to invest in you in an incredibly difficult time where they're like, I don't have cash. I'm circling the wagons. How are you going to get them to unlatch that cash? I don't know if you ever think that way, but we think a lot at DreamIt. When you are pitching an investor, think of them like a customer. You're selling them equity. How are you trial closing them? How are you moving that forward in a very professional way? But anyway, yeah, it's, a different I mean, it's, it's definitely a framework to think about it. Um, I think some people like to, on the other side of the table, consider themselves partners in the business. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And so I think depending on the person, you know, and, and it, the thing about being great at selling is... Mm-hmm. Some people believe it's like a little bit icky or it's like over the top or I don't want to be mm-hmm. like a hard sell. But if a fat, if a, if an investor sees you have the ability to convince them, 
mm-hmm. and they are very sophisticated. You know, it's like convincing a Jedi to do something <laughs> like, right. It's not easy. Um, right. and you're not going to do it with mind tricks. And so, you know, then if, if I know you can sell me on the vision and you can sell me on the investment and being a partner mm-hmm. with you for the next decade, you might be able to sell customers on the product, which have a lower right. commitment level. And you might be able to sell found, um, uh, employees to come work with you, which is an even easier sell because they're sure. just getting, they're getting a salary. And, you know, yeah. the only thing they're giving up is like picking you over another one. So, you know, in that stack, like getting somebody to give you millions of dollars is really hard. Getting somebody to use your product is relatively, you know, medium hard or yeah. medium easy, depending on what you charge for it. And, you know, sure. getting employees is hard and it's going to all of a sudden be easy. I'll just that's the other thing that's going to be crazy. Yeah. It's like all these positions when you the, couldn't fill. Right, oh, right. Easy to fill. And one sinister thing I heard is somebody just say like, yeah, I just lay off like half your team and then you're going to be hiring them back at 30% discounts in six months. Ooh. So just furlough everybody. And then it's like you're right. laid off. And by the way, if you want your job back, here it is at 30% haircut because um, wow. people were overpaid uh, because of the right. competition. Right, uh, where people were paid based on a market condition that no longer exists is probably the most accurate right. way to say it. Just so there's going to be a lot of that going on, a lot of resetting. Sure. Just, uh, yeah, and we're going to talk about resetting evaluations in a minute. Just a quick note on this, the way of like thinking about it from a sales point of view. And again, like you said, most most investors want a partner. You're not completely selling to them. But where I first learned about that or realized that is about 10 years ago, I was in the IR at first round with Josh yeah. and spent about a year there. And I saw dozens, if not hundreds of startups pitch him. And there was one startup I'll never forget where the entrepreneur, the founder at the end of it, you know, closes his MacBook and, and turns to Josh and says, look, I have a question. And he's like, sure, what's that? You know, is this something you'd invest in? You know, what would I need to show you? What would you need to see from this company that you'd say, I'd get behind it and write a check? Yeah. And I was sitting there and going, holy shit, the guy's trial closing Josh. Wow, I'm impressed. And, and Josh was like, look, if you, in six months you could show me this, this, and this, I'd write a check. And he's like, really? And, and that guy left and you know, six months later did those things. It was really an interesting he approach. <laughs> he eventually got the check. But it yeah. was like, wow, it's just, it's, anyway, it's, it, even at yeah, these we have times, a way it would be we, really uh, important. We have a way we frame that, um, which is we tell people, hey, I really appreciate the advice. We tell founders to, you know, when they're talking to investors, hey, thank them for the advice. Write down what right. the advice was. And say, you know, I know you. It's a no for you. Thank you for the quick no. We like the quick no yep. over the the long maybe, uh, yep. the never ending maybe. And um, just curious, uh, what under when should I come back to you? What would I need mm-hmm. to? What milestones should I if I hit? Should I come back to you? I'm at ten thousand a month in reoccurring revenue. Should I come back to you when I'm at a hundred or fifty or two fifty, and right. uh, see if you can get an answer to that. And they're That's like, oh, great. no, just stay in touch. And you're like, yeah, okay, well, what's a good time for us to meet again or for maybe me to do a deeper dive with you? If I, if I hit 150000 and just keep pushing to get that answer. Right. So at least you have a benchmark of if they're serious. And then they might say to you, you know what? I, it's just not, I'm not interested in this vertical. We don't do enterprise here. So it's yeah. really, there's a, there's a better investor out there. You can take them off your list and stop sure. haranguing them. Because yeah. really one of the most important things is, you know, this, this investor um, founder fit, right? Investor product fit. Like you have to have an mm-hmm. investor who really believes in the founder product or market, one of those things. Right. And that's why Uber did so well. Um, and was so attractive to so many investors just because they took Lincoln town cars and it started as a Lincoln town car service. So, right. You right. Know, you didn't need to be Uber a genius cat. to be able to look at that and go, yeah, that'll work. Uh, so this is going to work. Me, let me move it along. What do, what do you think? How do you think valuation? So again, down market, 
horrible things going on. How do you think valuations and deal terms are going to change? And you can tweak that answer based on stage. Angel, pre-seed, seed series A, like, how do well, you, when again, I, when I invested in, terms. yeah, when I invested in Uber, Calm, you know, Thumbtack, all these famous unicorn companies, like mm-hmm. it was uh, typically four or five million dollar valuations for companies with products in market. Um, mm-hmm. I think we'll go back to that. Uh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So I would say half of what the current market rate is, and for YC mm-hmm. companies, maybe a third. Uh, right. So if you if people were coming out of YC in this twelve, you know, ten, twelve. $14 million caps. I think that goes down in half. Um, okay. I would say if people are coming out of Techstars or our accelerators at 8, mm-hmm. 9, 10, or 6, mm-hmm. 7, 8, 9, 10, you know, maybe it goes down to 4, 5, 6, 7. I, I think right. half is probably a good rule of thumb right now. That's mm-hmm. what I, my expectation of the next year will be. People who close will be closing at half of what they would have otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that will go right down the line with the exception of breakout companies in, like, in the Series B kind of area. And those mm-hmm. will maybe be a 30 percent haircut and you can just look at what you know slack or you know box or other not zoom uh, but yeah (laughs) yeah zoom yeah i would definitely that's 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 an anomaly and you know founders love to focus on the anomaly as the standard and it's like the a lot the the anomaly and the anomalous situation that you don't have complete information on is not a way for you to benchmark yourself Mm -hmm. people are like why does Tom Cruise get paid this much money over 25 years consistently. And right. it's like, yeah, you, you know, you're just not going to benchmark yourself against that pay scale as like uh, an average actor, right? Like, or mm-hmm. Uber was the other one where people are just like, I don't understand. Uber's raising these things and it's a money losing business. And it's like, are you sure it's a money losing business? And they're like, right. it's not. And it's like, well, what do you know? And he's like, oh, I, I actually right. don't know anything. And it's like, if you were there in the early days of Uber, like, that Lincoln Town Car service was printing money and they had zero CAC, you know, <laughs> like right. the customer acquisition cost was like, give a ride, get a ride. Or, you know, I'm in an Uber with you and you're like, wait, how did you get this car? What's this, what's this app called? And it was over the shoulder virality. Like you That's just, so cool. you just open your app up and the person would see it and go, oh my God, I need this. Cause I have a ride. I'm taking a ride home. So people didn't understand that about the business. So we talked a little bit about valuations and deal terms, and I try yeah. to go another mm, 10 or 15 minutes, and we'll open it up for questions. And again, sure. Jason, thanks for joining us today on Dream Live. If you're just so, let's let's move on. So let's talk yeah. about investors in a sense. You know, we talked a little bit about they're going to circle the wagons a bit and really focus on supporting existing companies. They will probably start to look at some outside companies. You're going to have to be exceptional. If you yeah. used to have to bring your A game, you have to bring your A plus plus game. No bullshit. Right? Yeah, There's no, 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 no nonsense, no bullshit in that deck and that pitch, mm-hmm. whatever it may be. You know, do you think though, I mean, I guess it's kind of obvious or VC is going to slow their investing pace and what should startups do about it? I think I know your answer, but like, you, yeah, uh, the answer is, um, majority of them will slow and then select ones will opportunistically increase their pace. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I would be in that latter group. So we were going to do another accelerator class. Um, you know, we, we are trying to get to doing, um, a hundred companies a year, a seven, a cohort. Uh, yeah. so, you know, we got to get to 12 or so a year, uh, 12 cohorts a year monthly, basically mm-hmm. starting one every mm-hmm. month. Yeah. And based on the amount of inbound we have and the quality of the companies, we'll probably start two or three and we'll just do them virtual to start. And if they become, uh, physical, uh, in real world again, that's fine, mm-hmm. but we're going to take advantage of this moment mm-hmm. in time, uh, right. to do really two things. 
one, support founders, which is the mission of launch, support founders and inspire innovation. Uh, And so, you know, if we really want to be a mission-driven company and we say we want to support founders, well, here's our opportunity. Uh, And 100K check for somebody who, you know, was burning 100K a month, but now is burning 15K, it's super Mm -hmm. meaningful. And so we're going to write those 100K checks very quickly, uh, much like the government is pushing stimulus. Mm -hmm. Uh, We get a, you know... um, we, we like to get involved with companies early. And for us, once we have them uh, coming to the accelerator, we just we ship that 100K real quick. So if you're in that, our Goldilocks zone is uh-huh. 5000 a month way. in revenue yeah. to 50000 a month in revenue, something right. like that, uh, or a product in market that's growing you know, 5% week over week as a you know, consumer product. Um, mm-hmm. So we like... We don't, if you have a competitive series A process going right now, you don't need us. And if your product, mm-hmm. if you have ideas and your product's not launched, we really are not that helpful to you. We're helpful when you have a couple of customers as that right. bridge between you and that million to $5 million round. And sometimes we have people do five to $10 million rounds, but we're, we kind of, our speciality is helping you get that $1.5, $3 million round by introducing you and putting our name on it. Frankly, what we do in right. the Valley is about right. anointing. You mm-hmm. know, and uh, supporting and anointing founders. So, mm-hmm. you know, if we sort through a bunch and then we anoint a few, people look mm-hmm. at our track record and say, oh, Jason's involved, his team's involved. This right. has to be a real company because I know it's Goldilocks Zone because he says it every 10 minutes. Right. And so that's our Goldilocks Zone. My email for life is jason at calacanis.com. If you email me a chart with your revenue by week, by month, no bullshit, you attach a PDF with your deck, not a bunch of nonsense send links uh, right. for spyware or whatever. Just send me the chart. Right. You know, and I'll look at it and I'll respond. And by the way, people like Jason, Dream It, and others know how to cut through the bullshit on that, right? So if you send them a deck and it shows you quarterly revenue, mm-hmm. right, instead of weekly, and 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 you get to hide all the, you know, don't don't try to play all the spikiness. tricks because most of us know, spikiness, right? Like, oh, I'll just oh, the last couple months look like shit. So what I'm going to do is just show the last quarter or half year. Don't do that. I mean, it's, I'm it's looking for this is a it's a really interesting observation. I think is mm-hmm. people founders are often. Uh, ashamed or uh, trying to spin the early numbers. And it's like, mm-hmm. trust me, we know that right. your numbers right. are not predictable. That's right. why we want to meet you. We want to help right. you make your numbers predictable. We want to help you get product market fit. We want to help you build out your team. We want to help teach you growth tactics and have that dialogue with you to build a plan. Like we know the opportunity right. for early stage investors is that you've only figured out two of the 10 things or three of the 10 things. And we can right. maybe help you figure out another two or three. And the next set of investors help you figure out one or two. And then the final set of investors help you scale the last two or three, right? And sure. that's part of the process. So don't don't spin. It's, it's, it's right. really a wasted thing. If you spin uh, this stuff, we find out anyway. And then right. you look like you're you know, playing games. It's better to be like, hey, here's what we figured out. Here's what we need help with right that's super attractive to people who like to solve problems and it's one of the things we really try to work with our founders is like how quickly can you just explain reality mm-hmm. um you know so and how efficient can you be with that i think that, i think the expression by the way is don't spin twist but i'm bummed okay that was pretty <laughs> bad all right dad joke okay um so we're just joke. to be there you go so how do you you know when you make investment decisions if I remember correctly, you like to play a little poker 
Where are you going to be placing your bets? By the way, have you ever read that book from Annie Duke, Thinking in Bets? I don't know if you've read oh, yeah, that. No, She's I'm, amazing. I'm friends with Annie. It's a great book. Yeah, um, she, yeah it is uh, a great We did a podcast book. together. We did the Annie Duke show together. Which yeah, yeah, yeah. We're starting podcasting, so she's great. Yeah. I love Annie. Yeah, she is great. Shout so where Annie are you going to be placing? So if you think of it, you know, you've got three cards out of the five. You see what you see. You know, where are you going to be placing your bets if you think of it that way? Like any particular sectors or verticals besides the Goldilocks zone. Anything yeah, yeah. in particular you're looking for? So, you know, we are sector agnostic because all the big investments, when I look back on them, were uh, essentially sector defining companies. Mm -hmm. So if you look at the biggest hits, Robinhood and Wealthfront defined financial services. Mm -hmm. But at the time, fintech wasn't a thing. But mm -hmm. now if you said to people, name the top three fintech companies, that would be two of the three. And we're investors in two of the top three. And if right. you said, hey, define the on-demand economy, they would say, okay, I guess... Uber and Lyft right. and Lyft. Airbnb. Right. And we'd say, okay, yeah, we were in that one. But at that time, we didn't have those terms. So the terms usually come from some clever blogger or analyst or venture capitalist or mm -hmm. journalist who comes up with a clever term to define what previously was a, a category-defining company. So we don't want to miss that. And in fact, you know, people wrote on Quora, like, is Jason Calacanis going to lose $400,000 on Calm? Um, because the idea of a meditation and a mental health app you know, five, six years ago, maybe when we made that investment, we looked really right. dumb. Um, right. And so I really encourage people to not worry about sectors and all that kind of stuff. You can look for trends, sure. Mm -hmm. I'm looking for founders who have resiliency, um, who are great leaders, who I can have like a really candid dialogue with. And I feel they are self-possessed. Mm -hmm. um, they are confident um, and they have an opinion and perspective and they're willing to, you know, fight for that opinion and perspective. When I say to somebody like, so why didn't, why are you going consumer and not enterprise? If they say to me, you think we should go enterprise? Okay. Will you invest if we're enterprise? And I'm just like, right. no, I, I actually don't know. I'm asking you that question because I'm really interested right. in how you right. came to the decision to make Uber a consumer product, full stack, not an enterprise product where you sold right. software to cab companies, right? And right. some dipshit investor was like, hey, J-Cal, can you convince Travis and Garrett to make Uber an enterprise software company where we sell the enterprise software to the tens of thousands of small cab companies out there and they could each have their own app and we right. don't have to be in the cab business, we're in the software business. And I was like, oh, that's a really interesting take. Yeah, let me think about that. And I just walked away and I was like, oh my God, I'm never going to bring that to Travis. <laughs> it's just so obvious that this person, you know, what what I think of an idea, what mm -hmm. I think of your tactics is not mm -hmm. as important as what your customers think of the idea and what exactly. your team sees in the results of those tactics. Now, I can have a dialogue with you and your customers and I can, you know, have a tactical discussion with you. But, you know, I, I've been at war enough times to know, like, the people on the front line have a unique insight that we will not have. Uh, right. And we can... We can tell them and the history of, you know, running up hills, but this time might be different. So right. you, you have to have a little and bit of humility as an investor, I think. It's interesting because when we meet start yeah, when it meet when we meet with startups, we'll do that a lot. You know, why are you B2B versus B2C? And they're like, wait, do you do you think we should be B2C? It's like, no, I just want to understand the thinking. Don't and also like for dreaming companies, like, I don't want you to be a wallflower. Come back and fight for it. I just want to understand your thinking behind it. And, and it's interesting when you get into those intellectual conversations, what comes out, and it's it's interesting, but don't want to yeah. change it. Okay, let's let's just to wrap up a couple last things. You kind of started touching upon this. You say, you know, you're sector agnostic, but what do you think, 
coming in this, coming out of this, what sectors or verticals do you think might heat up or might cool down or B2B, you know, whether it's a vertical or B2B versus B2C? Do you have any thoughts, hardware or software? Do you think anything's going to cool down or heat up? Yeah, you know, there's never a time to start a great company. There's never a bad time to start a great company. Um, mm -hmm. And no, every time people look at these sectors and try to time them, it tends mm -hmm. not to work. So, you know, if you look at companies like YouTube, you know, it was like the 500th video hosting service, but there were two or three unique things, what people right. typically refer to in the investment community as the why nows that worked. Mm -hmm. um, I think right now, probably a great time to start a company in travel and hotels and that kind of stuff because nobody else is. And right. so they're getting crushed. They're getting crushed. And so like, right. would love to see somebody come to me with an idea to compete with Airbnb right now, to right. be totally honest. Like, right. You know, maybe they, not a maybe maybe not a cruise line, right? But Airbnb, right? Or, or, you know, honestly, I you know my theory on this is like once this yeah, thing yeah. clears, there's going to be a YOLO of all YOLOs. We're going to go into right. mega YOLO mode. Uh -huh. We're going to go Uber YOLO, and I think things like um, cruises and trips and sporting events are going to be hard tickets to get, and people are mm -hmm. going to be like setting all-time records for the cruise industry and, and flying right. and hotels. That's I think great. it's going to come roaring back because it's going to be this pent-up demand. I'm, I'm losing my mind and, I, you know, being stuck at home. And, mm -hmm. I mean, to be able to go to the movies with my daughter or to go back to Tokyo, I mean, I, I'm just crestfallen that I can't go to Tokyo right now. I just want to go right. eat some Taishokin ramen and, <laughs> you know, walk through the cherry blossoms and, and get some sushi and, and you know, stay out till two in the morning drinking scotch. You know, like I'm Sounds I'm crestfallen good. right now that I can't leave my house. Sounds so. good. So last thing on that, you know, if if I'm in a vertical that's not in favor, or if I'm you know not in the right approach, do you think if I if I've been thinking of pivoting as a startup, let's say I have you know six months of cash left, and I look back and say, you know what, this really wasn't working, and it's really really not working now. I think it's a good time to pivot. It's always a hard decision to make as a founder. I mean, it's, you have to follow your instinct and your heart and the data, right? Like, right. and so let me unpack that for a minute. Like there's sure. data that will tell you what's working and what's not. But sometimes if you persevere, you will break through. And so something like Twitter was just meandering along and then it all of a sudden caught fire. Mm -hmm. um, and so you do see that where things kind of meander and then break out. Mm -hmm. And so persevere versus pivot um, you know, this is something that you have to look deep in your heart and talking to your customers and, mm -hmm. and understand that the people who persevere sometimes are the ones who actually figure it out. And so right. I, I get a little nervous when people are just overly pivoty to right. make up a word. Um, and then I also get concerned if somebody is literally just banging on a door with their head and you're like, that, there's no doorknob here. That is a brick wall. <laughs> And they're like, no, the door's going to open. And they just keep whacking right. their head against it. I'm like, and blood's sure running down their wall. face. And right. <laughs> you know, then sometimes the wall just falls over and they're like, see, it's right. a door. And I'm right. like, I, I guess you could define that as a door. Right. Yes, the brick wall right. fell over, you got stitches and you made it through. And, and so, right. sheer force of will. So, I, I think you have to follow what you believe as the founder you want to wake up and do every day. If you want to wake right. up every day, yep and you want to make a casual game and work on an iPad, and it takes you 37 swings at bat to make Angry Birds, well, right. fucking hell yes, do it. You know? Right. Fuck right. yeah, let's do it. Let, let's cool. fucking fight that fight. I'm in. But, right. you know, right. so the problem is, some people are just not built to fight and have, be that resilient. 
Right. You know, some of these comedians wind up breaking out when they're 44 and they've been on the road for 20 years. Some musicians, that happens. Some people direct their great film when they're 60. So right. I, I love the idea of being dogged and resilient and following your muse and not being too jittery and pivoty. Right. Oh, I agree. And, you know, we talk, you hear investors all the time talk about, we want to invest in missionary entrepreneurs, not mercenary entrepreneurs. They're on a yeah. mission. It's not like, you know, where you're, they're hitting, hitting you up on, on a seed round and they say, and Jason, let me talk to you about the exit opportunities. It's like, I don't give a shit. I don't want to hear about your exit opportunities. Yeah, no, today. I mean, you're so smart. I want to hear about what are you building? How are you going to change the world? I still own a large, I still own a large piece of my Uber position and I'm your uh -huh. left holding that stock. And people ask me, like, well, what's your plan to liquidate? I'm like, you know what? I think it's a trillion-dollar company eventually, so I am going to hold for the next 10 years. And I'm not looking at it. you know. And there's some companies, like, if you bought Disney right now or 10 years ago or 20 years ago, like, there's probably no real reason to sell Disney unless you absolutely need the money. Like, I don't think Star Wars and Marvel and Disney characters in the parks are going anywhere, so hold that shit. Right. Just right. keep, you know, it's like owning like some incredible apartment on central park. Like you probably right. don't need to sell it ever. Uh, right. Yeah. It's not going anywhere. Okay. Let's get to questions in just a minute. Just a quick uh, reminder again, Jason, thanks for joining us. We're going to tell some live questions. We'll read them out and they'll come up on the screen for us. Um, and just a quick reminder for about dream it and what we're all about every day. We, so we're a little different, right? We're very sector specific. There's three sectors. We work at a dream urban tech, secure tech and health tech. It's what we focus on. And we've been doing that for dream. It's been around for about 10 or 11 years. We focus on the verticals and have very tuned programs for them. So today we've been sharing ideas and we love to do this with some of the best in the business. Obviously Jason's one of them. Um, and right now we're really focusing all of the series of dream it live on how to survive and then thrive in these challenging times. So if you want to learn more about us, let us know. Otherwise let's go through some questions. If that's okay. I'm and by ask the way, on the, on the yeah, fact yeah, that you yeah. guys are vertical specific and we're yeah. not, I, just to yeah. point out, I, I don't think that having a vertical specific, um, a thesis is wrong. I just mm -hmm. think it's wrong for me. If you yeah. love healthcare, if you love consumer, by all sure. means, as an investor, I think that you have to follow your passion. For me, I don't have like some particular love of one vertical over the other. Mm -hmm. I just love the process of building companies and being right. partners with people who win. So right. like most of all, I like winning and fighting. Like right. for me, fighting and winning are two of my favorite things. <laughs> That's just a weird confluence of my upbringing or whatever. But I just like a fight and I like to win. So yeah. I, who I cares what the venue is? I just yep. want to do those two things. I, I agree. And we love fighting and winning. It's the same type of thing. It's just we bring massive, you know, for health tech, we've built, I don't know, 130 health tech companies in the last seven yeah. or eight years. We just have incredible expertise. And it's a pretty good playbook. We, yeah. We, we have a thesis. We know how to do it. We've got such expertise. Same thing, you know, secure tech and the people that are in there. If you want to build that type of company, we have that expertise. So it's kind of fun. So we it's just certain areas we like and have a thesis behind. Okay, let's jump into some questions because we have about 15 questions to pile through and I ask, appreciate people asking them. Okay, first question. Let's just see coming up. Do you see new businesses or business models that could emerge because of this. So again, do you see new businesses or business? You should yeah. see it up on the screen. Business models well, could emerge because of all of this. Yeah, I mean, if you looked at post September 11th, there were a lot of theories on how the world would change. Um, and when I look back on it, uh, and and people were like, it will things will never be the same. It's the end of irony and comedy. People can never make jokes again. And uh, you know, it's been some pretty right. great. Netflix comedy specials after 9-11, right? But there was this feeling we had that things would never be the same again. 
And I'm now coming to realize at the age of 49 that things almost always go back to the way they were with very Mm -hmm. small, minor tweaks. Even if you look at, like, what is the lasting legacy of post-9-11 or post-the mortgage crisis, people really can't come up with anything except for the TSA. And I've been asking this question over and over again to smart people. Right. And the only answer I get for post-9-11 is the TSA. Like, the Middle East is still in chaos. Right. It was before 9-11. It still is. But the TSA is something. And then you look at the TSA, we figured out, like, an antibody, which is, like, pre-check and clear. So even though the TSA slowed everybody down going through, we now have come up with some ways to do that. So I think there'll be some things around social distancing and not mm-hmm. coming to work sick and maybe people will not shake hands on the margins. Um, it does feel like food delivery and remote work, which were true trends, might be accelerated. So I think what right. these crises tend to do is accelerate things, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but I... I don't think that the, you should be looking at this going, oh, what is the thing to capitalize on coming out of this crisis? I don't think there is a thing. I'll be honest. Okay. All right. Fair enough. I think the world goes back to being yeah. largely the way it is. There Large might be biotech investing right. and like there's some bio, you know, some things there, maybe medical devices, more people are interested in it. But I don't know if those are, I think that's more, if you think about cause and correlation, I think mm-hmm. what happens is these crises open people's eyes up and get founders interested in things that maybe they weren't previously interested in. So maybe sure. some people were interested in defense technology um, mm. and um, spycraft and um, you know security things after 9-11. And after the financial crisis, people might've been interested in financial software that prevented people from getting mm. bad mortgages or something like forensic accounting stuff. It just right. kind of highlights for a founder what might be interesting to work on Right. And then it becomes self-fulfilling prophecy. So more people might perceive that remote work is going to be a bigger thing, and they might have an idea because they're stuck at home. If, does that make right. sense? Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. It makes causing perfect sense. Causing okay, let's might be yeah, causing, yeah. yeah. Okay, let's move to the next question. Next question coming up. Um, do you think angel round convertible notes, or so this is the area that you largely operate in, I think. Do you think con- angel round convertible notes or safe terms will change significantly? And maybe it's just capital. Yeah, I mean, I, the safe note is not safe. Um, it was created and they named it safe almost as a way to like troll investors. Right. Uh, so the safe note without an expiration conversion date, without a cap mm-hmm. and all this stuff right. um, is very dangerous for investors. And you saw that with this uh, company, TopTool, which screwed its investors because they never actually did an equity round. Um, and yeah, so I would, if you're an investor, you should always put an expiration date on these safe notes. You can do it in a okay. side letter. So I do uh-huh. think that on the margins, people will look at those devices and again say, what could go wrong? And right. I think converting automatically at a valuation that is agreed upon um, is a really healthy and good hygiene. I, th- I think the expiration of the notes creates this great moment where everybody has to sit down and reevaluate the business and the investor has to agree to extend it or get their money back or convert. And mm-hmm. I think that's healthy. These notes right. being extended forever is not good for either party. Uh, especially if it breaks out, like if a company breaks out and they're on a note mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they become a unicorn, that interest could be, could make those shares worth a lot of money. Right. Um, and right. so it's just not worth it to keep them hanging out there, convert them. Mm-hmm. Okay. In two years. That's good. Okay. Fair enough. Next question that came up, um, better or worse for companies inside or outside of Silicon Valley, not the HBO show, but the real Silicon Valley where you are. And I, I don't know if the, 
anyway, do you think it's better any, to be any, here any, because you're closer to the capital? Okay, wait, one uh, real sec. Launch. What percentage of your companies are from Silicon Valley and what percentage are from everywhere? It doesn't matter. Yeah, I would say 80% of the companies coming or more now are from not here. So we, it's not, not a requirement for us. In fact, yeah. we kind of see our role as being the landing pad here um, and right. the Ellis Island of Silicon Valley. Uh, we sort through oh, the what companies, a great term. we anoint them, and then we introduce them to Silicon Valley. That's kind of what we do. And then oh, we tell cool. you to go back and take right. the money from Silicon Valley and get two for one dollars or three for one dollars in a low uh, expense place. But I Got do it. think being here and being closer to the capital in this crisis will be better for that reason. And then the mm -hmm. expenses here are worse. Um, right. But because uh, so, but because of remote work, I think what we're going to see is even the big companies. Mm -hmm. Facebook's and Google's and Apple's are going to be less demanding that you get on a bus and come to their office because their employees are going to be like, well, I was just as productive. Look, I, during the coronavirus right. thing, I was quarantined. I got more work done. So right. really, are you going to make me get on that goddamn bus? Well, by the way, that, the bus that takes, you want to tell people how many hours that bus takes? That's not like a 20 minute bus, right? No, the three hour bus. Minutes, three I would say most people spend 60 to 75 minutes each way. So you've got people who are developers making a quarter million dollars, spending $4,000, $5,000 a month on their place in the city. And then right. these dipshits are spending two and a half hours on a bus a day um, as if they were, you know, um, in janitorial services uh, or, you know, waiters having to live you know in the countryside and bus all the way in like that's the mm -hmm. suboptimal situation you want to not have a commute if you're affluent and you can afford right. not to and mm -hmm. these companies have lost their minds thinking this is a good idea it's draconian to have to do a three-hour commute and they're kind of forcing their employees to do these two three-hour commutes it's really dumb okay so dumb. better inside better inside the valley because you're closer to your capital worse from a traffic point of view and commute point of view okay let's go to the next question <laughs> Would you want to see here, next question, create a COVID-19 angle to my pitch or not? Is the pitch deck splattered with COVID-19? By the way, three weeks ago, Jason, you know what there was all machine learning, AI, blockchain. Yeah. Well, blockchain's already fading. Everything yeah. is machine. So now do you think people, like, do I put COVID all, all over my thing, no. COVID-19? No. Okay. no, I mean, just talk about your customers, talk about your metrics and what you've learned from the early cohorts of your customers and how they use the product. And okay. then talk about your plans to acquire customers and to delight them and to make your product even stickier. Like just okay. focus on your product and customers. Everything else is extraneous. So whatever you're putting in your whatever you're putting in your deck that is not your customers, the product, your margin, how you yep. acquire those customers, just really focused on that flywheel right. is probably superfluous and putting a whole section on coronas like you, you that's that's you don't have to put everything also in a deck. You can right. leave things out and let those be for discussion. And people can ask, oh, you didn't mention Corona here. And you're like, yeah, we're not impacted by it. Right. Or it's not think, relevant to us. Like sure. we, we build enterprise software. It's really not going to affect what we do. Like it could okay. be plus or minus 10%, but it's not really important. If Now, if you're a travel company, you're like, yeah, here's why after coronavirus, this makes sense. We're doing uh, off the grid, non-city traveling where you're not going to, you have a much less chance of getting a pandemic. And so when people do go back to traveling, the idea that you're going on a very small, you know, camping trip on your own mm -hmm. is going to be really valuable because you're not right. going to a major city and you're not going to Tokyo and getting on the subway. You're going to a yurt in the mountains in Canada. Like right. that, that could be relevant. Yeah. So you just have to like really gauge how relevant it is to your industry. And about 10 more, and 10 more, 10 more questions to go. You good for 10 minutes? Good. Yeah, do you it. Don't? 
Okay, we're around. burning through it. Okay, lightning around. Next question. Any tips for pitching you or demoing or pitching in general or demoing over Zoom? Yeah, Anything so I, I think um, you have to have your computer plugged into an Ethernet port. You have okay. to have an over-the-head uh, headset and a microphone. You need to have uh, Ethernet plugged in 100%, turn your Wi-Fi off, and okay. uh, you need to be in a quiet room with good lighting. And I know this mm -hmm. sounds really stupid, but anybody who's been on a call with somebody who's running their laptop around their goddamn house trying to find a good Wi-Fi signal when they could have just bought a 50-foot Ethernet cable and run it from their router, and they're like, but I don't have an Ethernet port on my laptop. And it's like, there's a fucking $10 dongle, dipshit. <laughs> Plug in a right. goddamn dongle and put it on Ethernet. They're like, I've never used Ethernet. I'm like, yeah, Ethernet is how the Internet used to work when it worked. Right. Wi-Fi right. is how it doesn't work. And then also have a clean desktop and a, a presenter mode. So what I tell all my founders is to have an account on their MacBook or their Chromebook called Presenter. That has right. no uh, notifications. It has no cruft. It doesn't have Spotify running in the background. It doesn't have your wife or your friends and your iMessage group sending you inappropriate memes that pop up in the right. top right hand right like, make it bulletproof right because in this I, and then we're doing things like we all have a tile with our names behind it in our mm -hmm. you know zoom backgrounds mm -hmm. uh, i have everybody getting perfect microphones and we check everybody's ethernet port so it's That's just great. stupid stuff like that really adds up and if you've got perfect AV, perfect audio you're going to just come across like look at us having this conversation like, right it looks a lot more we're professional in a, that's a background, I believe. So you're on a green. No, 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 no. That's my some that, porch in our house. It's actually a real background. That that's that house looks like it's just way too expensive. Here, look, I'll, gorgeous. I'll, that is I'll not real. See, you throw if that I, pen if, on I, your shoulder, if I throw the pen, you're gonna hit it. Green keeps. No, no, that no green, green screen. screen. It's 100. There's that's no, too gorgeous. Wherever you're living. Here, I'll I'll throw a, a sound yeah. thing. See, I just it actually don't. Go, should go back there. I don't know. There oh it goes. Oh my god, that's incredible. They they have that green screen technology where they made that a 3D object and It's a new type of virtual reality. But I mean, you have a you have a proper blue microphone there, the Yeti blue, whatever it's called. You got proper headset. Your video is perfect. I'm gonna guess you're on Ethernet or you're right by your Wi-Fi. I am on Ethernet. Literally on Ethernet. Like so, you know how to do it. By the way, we have two people, you know, Dustin, who's producing today over Wirecast and sucking in. We have so many people on this that produce this, by the way. And thank you, Dustin and Victoria. There's lots of people in the background. And then like Nick, right? When you're sitting there, real microphone plugged into Ethernet, you know, they're all just sitting there going, yes, yes, please. Okay, let's keep going. Back to the thing. So next question came in off of YouTube from Nikan Thara. Nikan, thanks for your question. Any specific advice for R&D intensive industries such as med tech or biotech? In other words, layoffs affect R&D which affects quality or our startup as an investment. Um, yeah, let me I just see it. if I understand. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, if you're in hard tech right now, you may not be fundable and you may be running out of cash before you get to revenue positive. And there's right. a little hack you can do there, which is consulting for people. Mm -hmm. And so again, don't be too precious. If you've got five smart people, you can go to your five potential customers and say, hey, we're working on this technology. Is there anything we could do for you? What problems do you need to solve in your business? And they might be like, yeah, you know, we need to run this lab. And you're like, great, can we get an outsourced contract? We'll move into your lab. We'll run your lab for you while we're working on this other startup uh, sure. idea. And so again, you survive at all costs. If you got to land the right. plane in the Hudson, that's better than just you know, having it flip and, and fly into a bridge and have no chance. So find yeah. it, find it, find a route, you know, and if you, you, the most important thing is to be transparent with your employees. I told my employees, listen, on the venture side of the business, we have fees. And unless our people stop paying our LPs, mm -hmm. stop giving us money, we're going to be good on the media side mm -hmm. of the business. Unless advertisers cancel their 
ads and nobody's canceled an ad yet, then we're going to be fine. If people right. start canceling ads, we're all going to know it. And if the LP stop doing it, we're all going to know it. And we'll have plenty of time and you'll have plenty of, uh, you know, uh, advanced knowledge. So in this case, you just got to say, listen, we have a million dollars in the bank. We burn a million a month. We have mm -hmm. one. We have 10 months of runway. I'm doubling it to 20. There's right. two ways for us to do this. One is for us all to take half the salary. The other is for us to cut half the people. And then mm -hmm. there's doing in between. So I just want right. to know, I'm sending a survey out. What's the max pay cut you could take? And right. you could trade for extra options in the company. You can just answer this question for me, or you can choose to not answer it. And then I'm going to make a decision, and we're all going to sit around the table and discuss it uh, when I make the it's decision. It's a great idea. It's and, a great and, idea. You know, and, and that's hard. That's yeah, a hard. It is hard. That's a hard It's a hard time. Uh, and if you're but, biotech, by the way, and you're trying to run clinical trials, a lot of clinical trials right now are shut down. Well, I was supposed to go to trial in three months, well, or, or today, or I was in the middle of a trial, and it's been canceled. Because the hospitals- the restaurant people did. The restaurant yeah. people furloughed everybody immediately. Right. Like right. they've been through this movie, they know. So mm -hmm. now, but that's because they're dealing with four to six weeks of cash. Correct. So they said, okay, everybody's getting a week of pay, then you're all furloughed, go get an employment. For right. a startup, you're like, well, I always can get more money from VCs and I have four to six months. Well, just right. instead of thinking of as four to, how you would behave with four to six months, think mm -hmm. about how you would behave with four to six weeks. So just do that mental right. exercise and be of action because you can always hire people back um, if, you know, but you can't, always save the company. And so this idea that there's some white knight coming um, is probably farcical. Um, and yeah. I, man, the white knight syndrome in this industry, I cannot tell you how many times founders told us, yeah, you know, we got this person. They said they're really interested. They're going to put $10 million in at a $100 million post. And it's like, okay, right. where's yeah. the term sheet? And they're like, yeah, yeah. They're, they're getting it together, talking to their partners. I'm like, okay, tell them you want the term sheet by Wednesday. And right. then if they don't have it by Wednesday, can we make a plan to make the cuts we need to make? And Right. I have founders who are very resistant to that because Wednesday comes and they say it's coming next Wednesday. And I said, okay, well, let's make the cuts and then we can hire people back next Wednesday. Right. That's a good point. By the way, and if you even look at the PPP and the CARES Act, right, it's yeah. that's not your white knight. That just gives you more runway or going back to your altitude example. Well, you're at 30,000 feet when the engine cuts out. Now you're at 35,000 feet. It just gives you a little bit more time, but you're going down and you better figure it out. Where yeah. are you going to land? What are you going to do? So anyway, okay, let's keep going. Next question from a LinkedIn Live audience member, Sarah Suretti. Sarah, thanks for your question. Is now a good time to start connecting with investors, sharing your deck, et cetera? Absolutely. Fantastic time. Never a bad yeah. time. If you've got a great business, never a bad time to start a great business. Never a bad right. time to give an update to a great investor. And mm -hmm. you know, you just have to play the long game. Uh, mm -hmm. so I always tell people, create a list of the people who said no, put them on your monthly update to non-investors or potential investors, and then just tell them, you know, at the beginning, I created a list of potential investors. I put you on it. If you don't want to be on it, no, just let me know. Or if you have a better email for me to put on it, um, and then just put a chart at the top and whatever your true metric is, don't send them like a goddamn, you know, war and peace every month. Cause then you look like you're an idiot, like right. literally keep it short, keep it tight. Mm -hmm. Here's our new customers. Here's our new hire. Here's a link to LinkedIn. Here's a story about us in the Wall Street Journal. Um, here's the next two products that are coming, a screenshot, and a, here's a video, and here's a chart. Less text, more visual, more data. Everybody right. does this like giant narrative. Nobody gives a shit about your narrative and your excuses and your right. talking. People care about actions. A chart is right. action. chart is data. A link to a video of the new product, a, a testimonial from a customer that's a video or you know, in a nice graphic and a, and a tile card, you know, really pull them into your business and your vision through data, right. charts, that kind of stuff, product cool. demos. 
Okay, next question from a LinkedIn viewer. Emma Murphy asks, as a young startup, bootstrapped from zero to one and now pre-seed ready, we don't have a lot of cash in the bank and costs are being kept to a minimum anyway. Is there a point in going out now or should we just hold off? It's a great time. I believe it's a great time to contact investors who are home, who are efficient, who have probably some slots on the margins to, to do a mm -hmm. quick meeting and get an update on a company. You got nothing mm -hmm. to lose. And a lot of times you send that email and you just say, hey, I recognize you're busy, but I saw you on this podcast and I thought mm -hmm. what you said about product acquisition really spoke to me. Wanted to thank you for that. I mm -hmm. run a business that uh, connects Uber drivers with insurance uh, and we have 1,600 customers. We're growing at 20% a month. Here's a chart. If you ever want to, I would love to give you an update on the business if you have time. But if not, um, I'm going to send my next monthly update on May 15th uh, when we get through this next six-week period. Uh, and I hope you and your family are great. Boom. Like really short, tight email. So I put a bunch of data in there. And I, mm -hmm. and I let the person who's the target investor know that I watched them on some podcast right. or I read their book or I read their Medium post or I follow them on Twitter. And so play the long game, build that relationship. An email is like just a touch point, again, to Mark Suster's Connecting Dots blog post yep. from back in the day. Yep. You're just, you're trying to like find a pattern here if this, if this founder is going to go away or not. Right. We talk about, by the way, we taught that, that, that technique we call email ninja, right? And follow them on Twitter and connect with them on LinkedIn with a personalized invite and send a killer email with a great subject line. Keep it really, keep it really brief. Anyway, so all good, all good all things. All good okay, best next, practices. Yep, all good best practices, which I find 80% of startups don't do, which shocks me. Okay, yep. um, LinkedIn question, four more to go. Rafael Coelho asks, what about businesses that could leverage the current situation, such as Zoom, EdTech, or online companies or games? Yeah. Should they be prepared as well for 18 months of runway, or should they go the other end and push for growth? Yeah, I mean, if you have a ton of revenue and you see some positive unit economics, um, mm -hmm. yeah, you... you you might grow during this and you might be able to provide value. So anybody who um, has a business for education online at home or subscriptions or entertainment is going to see increased utilization by people being home. So whatever being home causes. So yeah, it might be a great time to spend money on ads. Absolutely. Okay, great. Um, just a quick note we have in our health tech, we have over 15 of our digital health med tech companies that are on the front lines of COVID-19 right now. I mean, they're implemented in hospitals and they can barely keep the wheels on the wagon. They're going so fast. It's like, yeah. that's a natural, you know, if you need to raise cash, raise. Um, so anyway, um, okay. Lean into so it, for sure. You lean in, absolutely lean into it. Uh, next, from a YouTube watcher, Devin Copley asks, lots of talk about the companies that are struggling. What about the companies like mine, a unique telepresence tech, which are suddenly have a much bigger opportunity? Okay, similar yeah, to the last um, question we just had. You, yeah, very similar, I think. Yeah. Uh, if you're strong, uh, build your cash position, uh, build your talent base, use this opportunity to uh, make your product stronger and, and full speed ahead, for sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, some there, there's this concept of anti-fragile, um, which uh, hopefully I, I do justice, which is there are some systems and some product services or things that exist in the world that do better in times of volatility or unknown. Uh, so, you know, if you are one of those businesses that during this is going to be stronger uh, mm -hmm. and be better, great. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, le leverage it and, and raise money if you can and invest in people, invest in your product, invest in product acquisition. I think 
I don't know this for certain, but I'm guessing that like customer acquisition on Facebook, Google, and other services right now has got to be down. Right. Uh, the cost has to be down massively. Right. And by the way, just even thinking in a pitch deck, when you have your competition slide, that would be the one you could do pre and post COVID. Here's what the competition yeah. used to look like before COVID. Now, four of them are gone, and here's what's left. It's just changed. Yeah, there'll be much less noise. So there'll be much yes. less investors. They'll be writing smaller checks, but there'll be less competition for employees and for customers. Right. No, absolutely. Okay. Next question. Three more to go. Comes in off of YouTube. Is the golden era of the apps business over? Is the golden era of the apps business over? Thoughts? No, no. It's, I don't think um, so. Yeah, no. It's, I think subscription-based apps really breathed new life into it. Um, mm -hmm. And there's now like, um, I think... You know, the idea of creating an app for a dollar and selling it for a dollar ninety nine and then playing games to have it grow in the app store, maybe that's gone. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe people underestimated what it takes to actually have a two platform app that works on iPad. So it's really you know, you're talking about three platforms or four platforms. You know, that takes a lot of work. Um, but a lot of those companies, a, a lot of work might be 15 people to 30 people to do it right. Uh, right. So it's not 300 people like an enterprise software company with a giant sales team. So really, you know, if you look at a company like Com or uh, Instagram, like they really got there with 15 people. We have another company, Fitbod, that's doing tremendous. We have another company, mm -hmm. Steezy, doing well. We got a lot of these companies in the consumer subscription space. And I think you just got to be properly funded, 15 to 30 people. Uh, they're not cheap. They tend to be really experts at what they do. Uh, right. iOS developers tend to be expensive. Um, so you really have to like sort of overcompensate there, but no mm -hmm. apps are, people are okay. still spending a ton of time on their phones and they're more willing than ever to subscribe to something. Right. So that's right. a real sea change. Consumer subscriptions change everything. Okay, cool. Um, two more to go. Next, a YouTube question from Erica S. Um, we consider a company with completed prototype with a platform for hiring in the healthcare industry. I don't know if that's for us or for you. Why don't you answer it first? Then I'll answer it in case it was for <laughs> us. Tell me again. So it's will it. you consider a company, I don't know if you can see the live stream, will you consider a company with completed prototype with a platform for hiring in the healthcare industry? So just I go mean, back to like, what's yeah, your, we, we what are your key things? We consider it, I guess. We consider uh -huh. it, but it sounds like you have a prototype and not a customer yet. So right. ideally for us, we would meet you and then try to figure out when you anticipate having a customer on it. And then typically people are like, oh yeah, no, I have six customers. I'm like, okay, how much are they paying? And they're like, oh, they're all on free trials. And I'm like, okay, those are not customers. Those are freeloaders. Those are users. Right. So right. why are we not charging them? We kind of have that dialogue with people. So yeah, if you got a couple of customers on the platform, that's when we'd probably want to invest. But we would engage, certainly, and, and get to know you before that. Right. This is like a Monty Python skit. So I pitch you, would you consider investing? You'd say, how much revenue, how many customers? I don't have any. You'd say no. And then I come back and I say to you, great, when should I come back to you? When I have five paying customers, 10, when I'm doing 100? Right? Is that yeah. how it works, right? Just yeah. Right. Basically, the it's just a, you know, we have, we have a lot of repetitive co conversations with folks. Yep. And mm -hmm. we're okay with that. I mean, I think part of the job here is, as investors in early stage is you have a lot of the same conversations over and over again, and you get to meet a lot of people and invest in a small number of them. Yep. And in the majority of cases, things fail. So, you know, you're basically meeting a ton of people to invest in a small number of people to then have the majority of them fail. It's a really weird industry in that way. Read the book, right? It's in your upper left corner. I see it right there. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so the whole approach, it's a great book, by the way. Um, okay. Last question from Arzu Takor uh, from LinkedIn. Yeah, there it is. There's your book. Um, how can founders make sure they their pivot 
presents opportunities for growth. What, what do you think about that? I'll read it again. How can founders make sure their pivot prevents mm. opportunities for growth? Yeah, so this is where the Lean Startup, Eric Reese's book. Um, and, it was on with you recently, I think. Yeah, it was just on recently. We were talking about how to go, get through these kind of crises, very similar discussions oh. to what we're having. So it's a nice mm -hmm. compliment. I think um, the thing to do would be to test it. And so asking and doing landing pages and asking customers, how much would you pay for this? Or seeing if you emailed 100 of them, how many opened up the email? So if you let's say you were going to make uh, a virtual assistant software where you... Um, uh, put a virtual assistant on iMessage and you said, I'm going to advertise to 10,000 iMessage users who are on LinkedIn and I, they have the title of CEO. And I and mm -hmm. you say, we've made a new product. It's called an iMessage admin. And you mm -hmm. 24 hours a day can ask this admin to do anything. And we charge you $50 an hour and you pay 500 a month. And it's a high-end service, but we have people waiting on your iMessage 24 hours a day. It's a pretty fucking good idea, actually. Right. Um, right. <laughs> and, uh, you can just basically ask us anything 24 hours a day, whether you need a reservation. It's kind of like magic or whatever, but it's even right. more expensive. And it's and it works specific on iMessage. And you show a landing page with a thing, and you say, sign up, put your credit card in. And then when they put their credit card in, you say, we're, we're starting on June 1st, um, and we'll charge your card then. You see how many people go through the workflow. And then sure. you actually know your customer acquisition cost. And you know what type of customers say yes. And you, know, mm -hmm. and you, say, and you ask them, what questions do you have? And you create an onboarding form. And you just you get that information ahead of time. So that's how you right. do proper pivoting is what's the least amount of work, what's the smallest test, the most efficient test I can do, the laziest way to get an right. answer to my question. So the laziest way to do this business is to not go hire a bunch of admins, is to pretend you're an admin and then create this and sell it to five people and then, you know, get woken up in the middle of the night. Could <laughs> agree more. One of the things one of the things we talk about all the time with startups is you know, no waving of the hands, no bullshitting. Trust me, every travel person is going to want it. Every healthcare person is going to want it. But you can point at data, right? And and point at data. So whether it's consumer testing or whatever it may be, it's really good. Okay, cool. We are through all. We of got our through questions. all of them. Wow. All of them. All of them. We had like great. 15 questions. So it was great. It. We appreciate it. If you get a chance, keep following Dream It Live. Jason, thanks so much for spending so much time with us today. It was great. Take care. Stay well. Stay healthy. Wash yep. your hands. And uh, we'll see you next time. Have a good All right, one. Thanks so much. Thanks. Take care. Bye.